Hey everybody, Tyree here with Before I Forget, along with Kevin. Say hey, Kevin. Hello, Kevin. <clears throat> and in today's episode of Before I Forget, we have Your a special guest. Wild, right? I know it's crazy. We have a special guest. All right, Mister Benji Manabog. Am I saying that right? Yeah, Benji okay. Manabog. That's correct. All right, this guy is a uh, artist with IAA. But besides that, he's a veteran and he has some really cool shit to tell you guys about. If you don't follow him on social media, on Instagram or anything like that, you need to start because the videos that this man puts on are fucking hilarious. They're insightful. What's up? I was going to say, the, the, man, what was it? I think it was one you posted today. The drip, the softly drip. Oh, yeah. Yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. That was good shit, awesome. right? <laughs> it was madass. It was fucking hilarious. How do you guys come up with that? Like, what what, what was the nexus behind? Can he, can he introduce himself first? Oh, well, goddamn! I mean, I'm Jesus. sorry. I'm excited for the conversation. What a loser! Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I'll, I'll I'll start out by saying um, thank you, thank you so much for having me having me on. And uh, you know, be, besides spending 16 years in in the military, most of that in the special operations community. Uh, I think my greatest joy right now is just entertaining folks and making people laugh and smile. And I am grateful I get to do that with a number of different companies and Softleet being one of them. And so, uh, and really what that gets to do is it taps into my creativity. And, and, um, and so how we come up with our skits is just really just taking from some of our old experiences and then sometimes just look just observing the world and taking it all in and saying like you know what this is something that someone could relate to because maybe they've been through it before or they've experienced something like that and uh just trying to add like a little bit of twist here and there to make it funny and and uh, and so the, where that drip video came from is if you've ever been under a you know a bench press and you have that that spotter that's super sweaty that's something on your mind whether you've been dripped on before or not like you're thinking about it especially if they're wearing short shorts or something you can see it dripping down the shorts you're like oh man i do not want to get this in my face especially in my mouth and so that's how we came up with that one but most of our videos are all from you know real life experiences we've been through cool makes it all relatable i dig it i'm I'm that sweaty guy i am definitely that sweaty guy man i'm dripping all over people i always feel bad too when i have to go spot somebody because I, I make sure like i wipe down all the sweat like make sure it's off of me you know what i'm saying before i like, hang on like, give me a second <laughs> shit yeah all right so let's let's again tarantino this thing a little bit uh <laughs> do you have any family members in the military no i was the uh well yes i did but i didn't know about it until i was already in the military my the only other person that had served was my, my grandpa. Uh, he served in world war two, uh, in the Philippines. So he was uh, a Filipino uh, soldier that was part of MacArthur's own. So when the U S army came in and they recruited a bunch of Filipinos to help them fight the Japanese, uh, when the Japanese occupied the Philippines, uh, he was one of them. And so that was, that's pretty cool, but I didn't, it's crazy. Cause he never talked about it or anything. And then after he passed away, I was in Iraq on my uh on, on a deployment out there in 2006 and he ended up he ended up passing away and during his uh obituary that's when i found out that he had served during world war ii and it's crazy because no, no one else in the family had talked about it that is wild yeah yeah but i don't come from like no one in my family is like you know really strongly uh you know supportive of the military a lot of them are, are they were very against it when i joined mm-hmm. um and so 
uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of an outlier in the family when it comes to that. So why did you join exactly? You know, I, I grew up, uh, you know, in, in, in Los Angeles County and was a skateboarder kid and punk rock kid and uh, came from an interesting background where, you know, it was a broken home, um, had, you know, uh, drug addiction in my family. And subsequently I was living with a drug addict and, uh, you know, started doing meth and cocaine at a very young age. And so my life was kind of just down this downward spiral, went to continuation school, was kicked out of normal high school and, uh, never thought I'd, you know, become anything in life. And I didn't want to really, I just wanted to be some punk rock kid that just, you know, just lived for the moment and didn't really care about the future. And it wasn't until, uh, some folks in my life, you know, had either committed suicide or, or overdosed on drugs. And I could foresee myself when I turned 18, I, I was looking into the future on those people. Cause a lot of those guys were older and I was like, wow, I'm going to end up in, in prison or I'm going to end up dead. If I continue my life down this route, I need to do something. And I saw a Navy SEAL commercial on TV is the one with Godsmack, you know, in the background. I'm not sure if you remember that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, from yeah. the early 2000s. And I remember seeing that and been like, oh man, like I, I want to do something like that. Just get the hell out of LA and go do something like that. And I, I remember going down the recruiter and I'm like this meth addict kid walking in there, 117 pounds. And they're just like, they're like, ain't no way, buddy. Like, <laughs> you ain't going to do this. Like, get the hell out of here. So they, they basically just sent me out the door. I, I, I did so bad on that ASVAB too, that little ASVAB um, pretest you take before you even, you know, go to MEPS and take the real one. Mm-hmm. I like bombed it. And so as I'm walking out the door, the Marine recruiter sees me and he's like, what's up, man? Why, why are you looking so, so down? And I was like, oh, Navy recruiter, they said, you know, they ain't going to take me. No one in the armed force is going to take me. And the Marines are like, you know what? I think we'll take you. So <laughs> they swooped me up. And But it was good, man. That was when I finally found a mentor, a positive role model, and, and uh, you know, helped me uh, graduate, you know, got me in shape, got me off of drugs. And, you know, nine months later, I'm out the door at, at boot camp. So what year was this? Uh, this is 2000, 2004. And then 2005 is when I went to boot camp. All right. So crazy. You, you were, you were post nine 11 for sure. A post nine 11 baby. Where, yeah. where were you when that happened? Man, I was in high school. Um, I remember, well, it happened before I got to school. I remember showing up to my friend's house, my neighbor, um, his mom took us to school and I remember, uh, showing up to his house and they're watching the TV and they're seeing, um, you know, the, the, one of the towers had gotten hit and I was like, Holy shit. Like what the hell is going on? And we're not sure. Like at that point, you know, what had happened. And, uh, and then I remember getting to school and then all day, you know, school, everything was, there was no schoolwork being done. Everyone just had the TVs on and everyone was just watching the TV. It didn't matter what class you went to. That's what, that's what was happening. And I remember just thinking like, Holy crap, like we're about to go to war. Cause I'm thinking like the, you know, there's going to be an invasion or something at, at home. Um, but it's really interesting because even after that happened, because I was so indoctrinated or brainwashed rather into this punk rock culture that I was in, I was like so strongly against, you know, going to the Middle East and, and everything else like that. Cause it was just like, you know, blood for oil and all that stuff. And so early on too, I was like, I thought joining the military was the dumbest thing you could do back then. I was like, there ain't no way in hell I'd ever serve my country. You're just cannon fodder for the system and all this stuff. So it's, it's really interesting just how 
how much had changed in a few short years. Yeah. I mean, and change for the better too. Cause I mean, you, you seem like you're doing pretty well. Right. And you joined the Marine Corps and you, and you went on to become a Raider. Yeah. Went on, became a, a Marine Raider and, and it was, uh, it was really weird. Cause I went from thinking, you know, or being told really that you'll never amount to anything in life. Because honestly, if I take a really hard look at myself back then, they were absolutely right. I was never going to amount to anything based off that track. But I went from having that mindset to, you know, from allowing my situations to dictate my future to saying, you know what, let me take control. Let me take some self accountability. Let me become something. And if I do do something the right way, good things will happen. And when I saw that, what I could become after my recruiter, you know, got me cleaned up off drugs and everything else. I was my, I went from being 117 pounds to 150 pounds. So I gained this weight. And, and then, you know, obviously after boot camp training, everything else like that, I was just becoming stronger and faster and, and just more capable uh, mentally too. And so and never in a million years would I'd ever think that this kid that was going to continuation school would ever one day get a master's degree, right. For, especially from USC. And so uh, it just changed my entire mindset on my belief in what I could do for myself. So I was like, I'm going to be a special operator. I'm going to, I'm going to fucking do it. And so I went out there and, and, and made it happen. Dude, that is, that is a, a long climb. And, and like, it's inc- actually really incredible. And that's part of the, like one of the, like, one more time to say that's the kind of story that we like to have on the show. Cause I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of people in the military can kind of relate um, to rough beginnings or rough upbringing, um, not like the ideal life. Um, and then they join the military to kind of escape that. And then, then they see like they're presented with all these options, like, Holy shit, like I can actually accomplish some things and you accomplish one small thing. I, I think in your case, it may have been, you know, that nine months of getting clean and then, and getting ready to go to, to boot camp, and then like fuck, I, could, I I did that, and then you go to boot camp, it's like fuck, I did that, and you keep on doing all these things, and next thing you know, you know you're this big successful person, um, compared to what you were before, right? And I, you know, and it, it, obviously it depends on how you want to measure success, but like you're still alive, um, you're you're thriving, and you know you're you're out there encouraging other people to kind of do the same thing. So I mean that's a fucking win all the way around. And I, that, that's, that's the, the story that we want to, we want people to get from this, right? We want people to see, man, like, like the, the, you can thrive, you know, yeah. and you're not, you're, so you're not in anymore, right? Yeah. I, I got out and, and to your point about, about thriving and it's really, you don't have to become a special operator or you don't have to wait till that success happens in order for you to, you know, achieve or to, to change that mindset, right? If it's that mindset that changes all that and makes all that happen. And I look back and say, man, if I would have had that mindset that I have today back then, wow, I would have had that fast track way sooner, you know? And, and it's, but at the same time, it's like, you can't go back in time, but what you can do is there's like a saying, it's like the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. And then the second best time is like right now. And so it's like, doesn't matter what you did before. It's like, make it happen today. Yeah, no, I, and I agree, but and I actually I was having a conversation with a guy last night about this. Um uh you know, I was asking him cuz he he had he had gone through some some pretty hard times um and then recovered from those hard times and is a much better person for it. And the conversation kind of was do you believe that had it had it not been for those hard times would you still be where you are today? And obviously we have no way of actually knowing that, but um you, you know it's one of those things like I wish I can go back in time and do X, Y, Z. Well, 
Yeah, but it's the fact that you didn't do those things. You went through these hard times and you you made these mistakes that made you the person that you are today. So it is kind of a, but no, I, I agree too. And it's also the the mindset. Like, it's not like, you know, um, like I said, how you, how you, how you measure success. So say, saying like, I want to be a special operator. I want to be rich and famous and successful. And I want my name on billboards, whatever the hell. Right. But like, um, I don't know if those are, those are really big, great victories, but if you can narrow it down to like these smaller ones and like, man, that's a, that's a measure of success as well. You know, did I get out of bed today? Because, you know, sometimes that's hard. Did you, you know, clean the house? Did you go to work? Did you accomplish some things? Did you make somebody smile? Did you make yourself smile? I mean, these are all like very small measurable, um, uh, successes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it's all about the mindset. Like you said, that's a, that's a really good point for sure. I I think I had a good day if I didn't manage to make somebody want to fight me. That's that's the mark of a good day right there. Like, fuck yeah, I did it. Pat on the back. So speaking of the demons that you dealt with before you came into the military, did you ever come across anyone while you were in the military that went through the same thing? And, And how did that impact you? Like, man, we're both here doing this shit right now. Yeah. And it was, um, it was interesting because it was very, very few that came from, um, I guess I don't want to say the exact same situation, uh, cause everyone has their own struggles and everyone has their own battles that they dealt with and overcame. And I, I'd say, you know, hundred percent of people dealt with something, whether it's big or small, we're all dealing with it in our own way. Right. Everyone deals with it differently. But, uh, I did come across a few folks that had, you know, overcome drugs and and overcome, you know, different addictions in their lives and and different abuse situations. And I think we, we clinged onto each other, uh, a lot tighter. And what was really interesting is I didn't find many of those people before the special operations community. I actually found a lot of them in the special operations community and, it was really, it's, it's funny, but it's also fucked up. Um, our wives were saying, they're like, you guys notice how all of our husbands all have daddy issues and they all have, uh, <laughs> this really fucked up life from, you know, prior to the, you know, joining the military. And it was like this, um, it was like this thing, like a lot of the guys in the special operations community came from like these really shady backgrounds or they were shady people before, um, being special operators. And I think part of it is like what makes us better at being a special operator because you have to operate in that gray area a little bit. And so um, I'd say there was a good number of folks in my team that came from, they weren't like the good old boy club or the, you know, people that were just, you know, college or or not even college, like high school football team or anything like that. They were like the degenerate misfits that were getting in trouble and smoking cigarettes and and doing drugs in the, in the bathroom at school. Like it was like those kids. And then they later on became special operators. So it's really interesting when people see in the movies and they think of like what a special operator is. And then you actually show like who's on the team, like, and where they came from. It's very different than what they portray uh, a lot of the times in in movies and things like that. So when you actually became a part of the unit or, or whatever you were part of, and you saw that, were you like, man, this is not anything like I thought it was supposed to be like, these motherfuckers are not as strict as I thought they were. This is, this is a trip. Like, man, I can't believe it's like this. I can't believe I'm a part of this. Yeah. In a way. Yes. But in another way, it's like where the professionalism comes from 
is the adaptability and the ability to turn things on and off like that. I mean, guys go from, you know, making, making dick jokes and things like that. And then immediately like two seconds later, they're briefing the ambassador, you know, to at, at, in a country on what we're going to do. That's going to have strategic effects, you know, uh, negative, positive or negative implications for years to come. And then they leave that room and we're right there back, you know, going to, you know, smoking and joking about the, some crap that I, I probably shouldn't ever say, but, um, and that's, that's what's so cool about that community is just, there is this level of professionalism when it needs to happen. And then there's like this level of debauchery, like on the other side of that, you know, and there's a time and place. And I think the biggest difference between what I saw in the special operations community than when I saw when I first joined was the, when the time and place, right. Cause um, you know, I think there's this, this idea of what, you know, if you've been in the military, you see the guys that are in the special operations community, they got long hair and their hands in their pockets and they're kind of, you know, like that. But our unit, they made a real big point to saying like, don't ever do anything to skyline yourself. Don't give them a reason to hate you. Make them make yourself untouchable to where you could outshoot them, outrun them, outdo everything. And when it comes to the professional side for Marine Corps standards, you could check that box too, to where they can't even touch you. And so that's, that's where I want it to be. I want to be able to adapt to both situations. I, I wish, see. sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, no. I was saying it was awesome. Yeah. I, I, I wish um, the, the, the conventional forces would understand the time and a place. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm still in uh, the reserves. I'm a, I'm a drill sergeant in the reserves and I do, I, I, I train troops and, um, and, it, and it's kind of the same thing. I'm not comparing uh, being the drill sergeant to the special operations community, but it is, it is a very niche group. And it's kind of the same. We can be prior to engaging with the trainees, you know, before you have to go give them a class or give PT or whatever, we're doing the same thing, having just dumb jokes. And it's, it's, it's some shit you shouldn't say. We probably shouldn't talk about. But then you go out and immediately you, you turn it back on. You're like, okay, now you're drill sergeant mode, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and I, I, I want, I, that's one thing that I, I wish the people understood about the military or people in the military could understand about themselves is like, you know, there, there's a time and a place to be, you know, you can fuck off as much as you want. So long as you're getting the job done and you're professional when you need to be, um, and you're professional in the public eye. Um, yeah. that's a, that's a big thing that, I, you know, with, with the rise and different, different social media platforms and, 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 and people being on them just, how they present themselves. I mean, people see that and they think, oh, okay, this is the military. I saw a video not too long ago. Somebody going around asking uh, new graduates of uh, uh, army infantry training. And it's like, would you ever, uh, do you, would you recommend the infantry to somebody else? And they said, fuck no, fuck no. You know, and it's all fluffy. You know, fuck no, fuck this. It's stupid. Blah, blah, blah. But then, you know, there's a counter video to that where it's a bunch of E6s and E7s, you know, um, a lot of them combat experience, Rangers, you know, all that stuff. And, they ask the same question and it's like, Oh hell yeah, this is amazing. It's the best thing. And it's, it's perspective, right? It's having served in that, in that role for a while and understanding like what professional looks like and knowing there's that there's a time and a place to be professional and a time and a place to fuck off because in the military, if you can't have humor, you're not going to survive, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> um, and I, so I was going to say like, I don't have a ton of, um, I've met some, a lot of folks in, in varied, various, um, special operations communities, uh, SF and seals and Rangers. Um, and we've recorded with, uh, Mike Vining, one of the founding members of Delta force. And, uh, 
my only experience with uh, Marine Raiders was I worked at range control at 400 Liggett in California and they came out and they, they ran some ranges out there and I was clearing them off a of range. And like these dudes were like, I, I don't get intimidated very much. Right. But these guys, they're all just big beefy fellows, you know, all had their glasses on. It's overcast. And like it's not even sunny. They're all standing around with their arms crossed as big as shit. You know what I mean? And like, I'm just going through and I'm like, there's, here's a, here's brass right here. It's going to, I'll hang on to that. It's a 45. Yeah. It's, it's yours. And then here's another piece. And you guys didn't clear this very well. And it's just a shrug. And I'm like, yeah. okay, well, you guys are good. Uh, thanks for coming on and lick it. Damn, you know? yeah, punk. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, we, yeah well, I'm, I'm sorry that they didn't clean the raid. <laughs> that, would, that would have been my team. Our, our team was very adamant about leaving a place better than how you found it. But there were some, uh, I'd say every company's got, that team and by that team i mean the one that when you're on deployment you're like all right is this team going to get us kicked out of country (laughs) hopefully not but uh but yeah i mean like i said there there's there's some there's definitely some um some debauchery going on and i've met some of the most professional guys in that community and i've also met some of the worst human beings i've ever known in my life in that community as well so uh, and that's, that's just the veteran community in general or the military in general, right? Like there's some great people that served and I'm sure ever you guys could attest to this too, is that there's also some really horrible people that, you know, that have served. And so when someone says like, Oh, I'm a veteran, I, I try to, um, I try to give them the benefit of the doubt, but to me, that also doesn't necessarily mean right away that they were a, they're a great person either. Uh, because, and, and same thing with someone, someone says they're a special operator, there's some special operators I know that that might've been really good at their job, but as human beings, they're also maybe not the best person either. Yeah. Yeah. That's, there's definitely a thing. Um, and I wish the civilian population would kind of understand that too, because when we are held up on a pedestal and we're expected to be this, like this certain level of professional, but like we're a subculture within the American culture. Um, and we have our good and we have our bad and, uh, and that sucks. (laughs) (laughs) What is, uh, so Again, like I don't, I don't have a lot of like knowledge on. on I know the 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 the, ra- the term raiders is is fairly new, and as far as um, being brought into the special operations community, and as far as DOD, it's it's also fairly new. Yeah. Um. What can you can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So the term raider, or us getting titled raiders, that that came about officially in 2014, I believe, is when it happened. Uh, I could I could be could be wrong on that timeline, but, um, because prior to that, we were just going by, we were MARSOC and we were like unofficially calling ourselves Raiders. Right. And where we got the term Raiders from was from our world war two lineage. So the world war two Raiders, you know, back in 1942, when they stood up first and second Raider battalion, and then there was also a third and fourth Raider battalion after that, um, they stood those battalions up because they needed a force that was going to be able to go behind enemy lines and conduct, you know, raids, right on the Japanese. And so um, Evans Carlson, who was the second Marine Raider uh, battalion commander at that time, he's the one that took a lot of the the stuff the Chinese were doing during the Boxer Rebellion. uh, And he took a lot of those small unit tactics and adopted them to what the Marine Corps knows today as like the fire teams and, and all those, all those small unit tactics that we use today in the Marine Corps that came from from uh, Evans Carlson observing the Chinese and then adopting it to the Marine Raiders. 
Same thing. That's where we get the term gung ho from as well. Gung meaning work and ho meaning to work together. So, or together. So the term gung ho means work together. And it's really interesting because he got accused of being a communist and all that stuff and taking like working together and being, you know, every single person uh, has a small piece of that component and everyone matters, right? He wanted his team to work cohesively and have that, um, that, that leadership to where he doesn't have to wait. You don't have to wait for the general to tell you what to do, right? It's decentralized. And, uh, and that's what special operations is all about, right? You don't have to wait for your commander to say something. Everyone is assessed, selected, has critical thinking skills, has ability to make decisions on the go. And that's what small unit tactics is all about. And so it's, uh, it's really interesting because the, the Marine Corps kind of like brushes a lot of that off or, or doesn't, you know, um, give credit to the Raiders to that, you know, more, more so publicly. But um, but Marsoc, yeah, Marsoc stood up in 2006, um, kind of out of our, like, against our will, against the Marine Corps' wishes. Donald Rumsfeld in 2004 said, hey, Marine Corps, you will be part of the Special Operations Command because uh, when it originally stood up in 1987, the Marine Corps was like, no, we're already special. We're Marines. We don't need to be part of some special thing. So their ignorance let kind of got them uh, out of a lot of funding and a lot of missions and a lot of things that they could have been doing. And then Donald Rumsfeld in 2004 said, no, Marine Corps, you will be part of it. So they stood up debt one, which later became MARSOC in 2006. Hmm. Dude, that's really neat, actually. Um, I didn't know any of that stuff, uh, again, because I didn't know a lot. And that's actually really interesting, because I, I feel like uh, the Marine Raiders are pretty much the only group within the Special Operations community that kind of come from somewhere else. I mean, I know uh, somewhere outside of the I mean, I guess Delta is, is based off of SAS. Um, but so that's just, I don't know, that's really that's really. Really neat. Actually, I didn't know that about gung ho either. I just thought it was a thing that people said. Yeah, and and the the Marine Corps, um, we're we're actually the only branch, or Marsoc's the only component of SOCOM that doesn't allow you to come from the street. So you can't be like an eighteen year old and say, "Hey, I want to go to Marsoc." You have to have served at least an enlistment and then uh, go into Marsoc. And so, what I think that does is uh, it produces a more mature product, right? And I think that's I think that's where you get a lot of that. Um, the ability to turn it on and off when you want to, you get that professionalism a little bit more is because you're, you're a lot more mature. Like I'm definitely way more mature when I, when I went to Marsoc than I was when I was 18 and my decision-making ability and judgment were a lot different between those, those first four years. And so, um, uh, yeah, we, we definitely have a very mature force and I like the way they do that. And I hope they continue to do it that way. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. So the army started doing this 18 x-ray program years ago where you can join and, you know, uh, come in to be a special operator from special forces. And I've, I've never really agreed with it because it, I mean, you, you don't, you, you miss out on, like you said, that, that growth, that professionalism, that experience, especially in the last 20 years, you know, you, you take a, you know, an 11 Bravo who's, you know, served one contract, maybe as a deployment to Iraq or Afghanistan, they've got that experience. They, they know how to do things. They might be uh, an E five by now. So they've led troops They've learned the different weapon systems within their um, their platoon or whatever, and then they go try out, and you know they 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 have an idea of how to how to walk in a wedge and how to work as a team, and so when they go through selection, it it, it definitely shows. So I, I kind of feel, I mean, I, I get the need right to increase the 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 special operations community because unconventional warfare is is a thing, and it's a it's kind of the the future of our military, but I mean we got to do it like safely, you know. 
But uh, yeah, so I guess that also explains like why you don't hear a lot about like. Actually, I was thinking about that as you're as you're talking about like the history of of, of uh, the Raiders. You you don't hear anything about what the Raiders do, right? You you can you can look at all these big operations in the last let's just say the twenty years. You know, you know that admission was ran by the SEALs for sure because they're going to write a book about it. Um, <laughs> you know when the Rangers do some stuff because the news talks about it. Uh, you know when uh, SF does some stuff because you hear about it, but you don't really hear a lot about what the Raiders are doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, is that is that because they're so new, or is that just because it's y'all new. really stick to that concept of being the silent professional? I think there's a number of different factors, and one of them is being so new. Another one is because of uh, it is very frowned upon uh, in our community to, you know, boast about because you know no one wants to be the you know, I don't want to out too many seals because not every seal is like this, but unfortunately they have gotten that reputation of, you know, we, we make those jokes like, Hey, when you become, you get your trident, you also get your book deal like on the spot too. Yeah. So, but at the same time, I think a big part of it is uh, the Marine Corps doesn't promote MARSOC like how the other branches promote their special operations group. And I think it's because there's still a little bit of the animosity, you know, with there being a special group within elite component right it, you know and i put elite like this because there are things i truly believe about the marine corps that i love and i do believe marines are special in, in, in certain ways um but i'm also brainwashed to that but uh, nevertheless uh they I, I will i will say that the marine corps loves marsoc or it has accepted marsoc when you see marsoc in a recruiting video or when you see marsoc in the marine corps birthday message but they they've never included in either. So if, if you turn on the TV and see a Marine commercial, you'll never see Marsoc on there. Right. But, but, uh, but Marsoc has promoted their own recruitment videos, uh, but there's nothing specific from the Marine Corps, including them within it. So it's, it's really interesting. And I think part of it is just because of that. I don't know that, that, uh, that animosity that they have for us. Yeah. That is really interesting. I've never thought about it. Cause I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost as if like the Marine Corps is like, well, we, we already, we're already, we're already amazing, right? We're already really good at what we do. And don't be wrong, I, I do, I, I really do appreciate the Marines. Um, we used to talk shit, you know, as as branches do, we talk shit. Um, but and I and I've said it plenty of times on the show before. When I went to uh, drill sergeant school, uh, I didn't have a lot of drill sergeant leaders that were like quality mentors, you know, like people. I want to be a drill sergeant like this guy. Um, so instead, I watched a bunch of uh, Marine drill instructor videos on YouTube. <laughs> and uh dude man that shit got me fired up and i was like i should have joined the fucking marine corps these guys are amazing like the way they do drill and ceremony i mean it's just a whole thing and we've recorded with a, a drill instructor kat karamitros and uh just again she and she actually kind of talks kind of how you do like very to the point very professional very good at explaining things it's like it's it's maybe maybe we're all wrong and you're not all crayon eaters and that you guys actually are pretty amazing what you do you know um i i do i do think it's neat though that that the marine raiders are not like in the public eye like that um uh because that 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 keeps it special that keeps it um you know uh uh i can't think of the word mysterious (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, basically speaking of mysterious what is the training or the uh the entry program to get into that i mean we know selection for army and all that kind of shit for you know sf but what is the entry level uh deal for you guys 
Yes. Yeah, so we have to go through a very similar selection process as um, the special forces selection. And in fact, the special forces helped us uh, create our own selection process. So we use kind of their model. And even with the follow on course, you know, they do the Q course, we do what's called ITC, which is individual training course. And both our selection and individual training course are modeled very similarly to uh, the army special forces. And so we owe them a lot of credit to helping us build that up. Uh, But what it looks like is we do three weeks of what's called ASPOC, which is assessment and selection preparatory orientation course, right? And so what that does is it brings in a a good number of folks that meet the minimum requirements on paper. They go through three weeks of, you know, kind of just physical training and, and learning the ropes. And those guys get weeded out over time. And then a select group from there get to pass on to the actual selection. And then from there, that's another 21 days of selection process, very similar to special forces, ANS. They're doing individual work, a lot of land nav, and then a lot of uh, team building type of stuff. And then psychological evaluations to ensure that this guy's well-rounded, right? He meets physical requirements. He meets the intelligence and decision-making ability requirements. And from there, once you get selected, you get an ITC date, which is individual training course date. And that course is nine months long. And and it's really funny because in, in a lot of our minds, when you get selected, you're thinking, oh, okay, the hard part's over. Now I just get to learn about how to be a Raider. Boy, yeah, I was I was wrong as hell, right? Individual training course, it's like every single day I was there, I was so stressed because I'm thinking like, today's the day where they're going to drop me because I'm going to do something. Like I've never in my life ended on a range. I've never had a negligent discharge. But th- when I was there, I thought like at any moment, I'm like, my, my gun's going to go off and I'm going to get dropped or I'm going to do something stupid and I'm going to get dropped. And it's just like, you're just constantly just this weight because there's so much on the line when you're there that you, you just think like you're just going to screw up. And so you're just trying extra hard to, to stay focused and to stay mentally tough and ready. But uh, it's broken into uh, multiple phases. I, I think it's broken into five phases. Now it used to be broken into four which was like a small unit tactics phase and you did a amphib phase, uh, your, uh, uh, shooting and CQC phase. And then the last phase, it was unconventional warfare. And I think they added a few other things in it. Now it's changed a lot since I went through, I was class nine for ITC and I'm not sure what class they're on now, but yeah. But so when I went through language school, wasn't required. We'd we'd get out, we do our nine months of, of learning all the full spectrum of, of how to be a special operator from small unit tactics and raids to close quarters, combat to unconventional warfare. And now, um, guys are getting out of that and then they're learning, uh, a language skill. Right. And then after language skill, they're going through their pipeline of, you know, jump school, dive school, free fall school, all that stuff. Vice, when I went through, it was you go through ITC and then you go to a team. And then if there's slots to go to those other schools, those insert platform schools, then you might have an opportunity to go. But if not, well, you know, you might get it on the next cycle. But at that time, like dive wasn't a requirement and neither was, um, you know, free fall because most people weren't free falling into Afghanistan or they definitely weren't diving in. So uh, they really wanted to send people to schools that were going to benefit them on deployment. Yeah. That makes the most sense too. Um, you know, I, so we, you know, the army opened up the, uh, the jungle warfare school uh, a couple years ago. And at first I was like, we're, we're fighting in a desert. 
and the mountains. Uh, how does that help? But um, when Tyree and I, before we deployed to Iraq in 04, you know, we were in Germany and we were out in the woods and Graf and Viren Hohenfels training for the Cold War. You know, we're fighting bimps and we're, you know, in out in the woods and doing uh, tree training, right? You know, <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, how is this going to help us? We're going to the desert. But uh, it, it does, right? Because any kind of training is some kind of training and it, it, it helps with your your, your sharpness and, and, and all of that stuff and just keeping your, your head on a swivel and your awareness and everything. So, um, yeah. but uh, yeah, that is that is kind of, it's so, so the, the Marine Raiders kind of keep it, or as you were saying, kind of at the time, like they kind of keep it specific to what the mission is. Um, is there yeah. a lot of, does it feel like, and then I know they're fairly new, but like, does it feel like that there there were times uh, in, in in the Raiders where you, you kind of you feel like you're training for the past? Because that's kind of how it felt for us in the conventional force. Yeah, um, not necessarily. I, I'd say the only time that I felt like, man, we should be more focused on unconventional warfare uh, it was when we were scaling out of Afghanistan and. Um, I thankfully was able to get into a position within the team and it took me, you know, several years because they want more mature guys on the team to be a uh, part of the sense of activities route. Uh, but once I got into that position, uh, I felt more relevant. And what I mean by relevant is that, you know, you could train all day in small unit tactics and in CQC skills and things like that, which every operator should be, um, you know, hundred percent, sharp on at all times because you never know when something kinetic is going to happen but at the same time they should also be able to adapt to new environments and the new way of of how war fighting is being fought right now and a lot of that is in, in unconventional ways and using other unconventional means to use uh, other assets we have available to us and a lot of those assets come from um, different intel uh assets and, and from using uh, human sources and, and using uh, your, your partner nation forces and things like that. And so uh, I wish on our training, we were, we were using that a lot more, but then later on in our, uh, in our cycles, we were, we adapted that. And it's because we just had great leadership. And I, I really commend MARSOC for, for adapting uh, at least that first battalion we were, I, mean, I can't speak on the other battalions. I know that different folks had their different, you know, gripes and complaints. And what's really interesting is even though we were focused on a lot of that, the sense of activity side at first, a lot of guys actually were complaining about it because they just wanted to kick down doors. They want to do the sexy stuff and just blow stuff up. But unfortunately when we're going into places in Southeast Asia or when we're going to places in Africa or in Yemen or things like that, we're not always the ones being kinetic, but our partner nation forces are. So we have to figure out other ways to win the war out there. And so it was really cool that we were able to adapt to that. Man, I, I had a conversation with a guy who was a former Delta. And one of the things that he said that like stuck with me, um, it was really, really neat. Um, is he was like, it doesn't it, you to be special operations, to be Delta BSF, be this or that. It doesn't, you don't have to be this special human being, right? You just have to be proficient at your your skill level one tasks like you have to be 100 percent proficient at them kind of like you were saying like in the special operations community you should be proficient at those things at all times and he's like that's that's all we are we're just really good at doing those 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 uh the basics really well um and i was just kind of floored by that right it's a, it was kind of like a mind-blowing thing and he was like well sometimes the 
you know, cause he's like, he's like, I says, I, I told him, I was like, well, that's, it's mind blowing, but it's also kind of obvious. Right. And he's like, well, sometimes the obvious is mind blowing. And I was like, well, yeah, I guess so. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, true. It's brilliance in the basics. And, and when we teach classes, sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll have, you know, conventional force show up with us to help us during our final, uh, company exercise called Raven right before we go on deployment. And say, you know, when we tell these guys like, you know, there's no curving bullets. There's no like special knee sliding in, you know, even though I act valid, they do that is pretty sick, but <laughs> there's no, there's none of these special techniques or anything like that. That just like, you're like, Oh, that's a, that's a soft technique right there. No, I, I mean, I'd say the, on the sensitive activity side, there, there's some other things, but for the most part, I'd say 99% of what soft does, is just brilliance in the basics is just taking a, a small group and having them being able to adapt and, and to do things that uh, a normal big conventional force could do. Cause we don't like, like when on my last deployment to Yemen, we had what, ah, 10 guys there. And it was 10 guys that are self-sufficient with, you know, uh, no American in sight for hundreds of miles. So uh, being able to do that with a small team, it takes a certain group of people that, that could adapt a different number of skills, right? We didn't have mechanics on the team and we didn't have things like that, but we had guys that, understood how uh to to fix an engine in addition to also you know being a breacher in addition to doing all this other stuff and the way i i talk about special operations i I relate it to breaching a lot because i was a breacher on the team early on and for breaching uh you know people like the sexy stuff blowing the door open right but in breaching it's it's actually the minimal amount of force necessary to open the door that's what you actually need you don't need to like blow the whole house up right even though it's that's more fun. Uh, it's not always what you need. Sometimes all you have to do is just turn the doorknob and Hey, it's open. You don't even need an explosive. And so what, what I, I like about special operations is we look at the mission and we look at what needs to happen and we say, all right, what's the right tool for the job? What's it going to take? Do we even have to get kinetic? And if we could win this without even, you know, without even a cracking a round off and just shaking some hands, then that's winning the war. Yeah, and there was a saying that I saw not too long ago. It was, it was on somebody else's uh, social media account. I mean, it may have been like OAF Nation or something, but it was uh, what was it like, like skill over uh, skill over kit or something like that. Does that sound familiar to you? Um, and I went to my first time on the trail. We had to go through a week long like training course with some like three former Delta guys, and we're like, oh man, we're gonna learn all that same stuff you were just talking about, like uh, the, the sliding knee thing and this and that and and they were having so we had uh what we have m16a4s and we're like okay so we're gonna get some like badass like delta slings and this and that and they're like no so take your parade sling um with the two little uh things on the end yeah. and some 550 cord and some tape and you're gonna make a sling out of that and we're like come on man this isn't cool at all dude yeah <laughs> you know but like and that's exactly what it is like you don't need to spend 60 bucks on this one thing just to make yourself look fucking tactical right like this like the sling and duct tape thing will work just fine and you know what it did it worked great and so like i have i kind of have that up on my on my ar and when i go to the range i get looks you know like dude yeah. dumb it's like is it because it yeah. works yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> But that's the thing, though. Yeah, you gotta you know practice these basics and worry about like what your kit looks like later on. Yeah, you know? we it's, we have a saying at because um, I I do I do some contracting for uh, that that company called Defense Strategies Group, uh, started by Michael Dowd. He's a, a former Navy SEAL, and we'll we'll teach 
number of different classes, combat pistol classes, uh, small unit tactics, things like that. But it's really interesting because it's typically the guys that show up with the most Gucci gear that have the have the worst shooting or the worst tactics when they're there and uh it's it never fails it's always like hey they're coming up with like this full kit it's all gucci and you know looks nice but then they go to perform and you're like man you suck and you know it's the guy that shows up and his shit's all duct taped together and we're like all right this guy's probably gonna shoot pretty well Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean you know like hollywood helps us out like the in the the recruiting videos and social media because we see that shit on social media man like oh shit like they're they're wearing solomon's I'm going to get me some Solomon. You know I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, a lot of Gucci gear. It does make good Instagram photos. You know, you can't get, make a good one with, with duct tape and stuff. That's no, man. No, no, no. Nobody wants to see your jeans with holes in them and your chucks yeah. that you've had for you know 10 years. <laughs> That's not sexy. So speaking of, uh, let's change the gears a little bit. Cause that's what I like to do on the show. <laughs> what is life away from the military? You do a lot of shit. I just want you to know that like, if you didn't know you do a lot of shit and it, like I said before, if you follow your, uh, if any of our listeners follow your Instagram, they see a little bit of everything, uh, motocross, uh, in Africa, um, tons of acting with really good, not, not, not even half ass acting, like believable real ass shit going on. Like, Oh man, this is actually good. This is makes sense. How how did that all come about? Yeah, so when I was getting out, what's really cool about uh, the opportunities that we have, and this is, it's actually something I've been, it's been on my mind for for a couple years now, um, about the transition that conventional forces get when they get out of the military, right? A lot of, a lot of conventional guys that get out of the military and it's like, what, like five days of classes where that's just like, it's a check in the box for the military. They say, all right, let's teach these guys how to write a resume. Let's teach these guys, you know, just how to translate their skills a little bit. And then they're like, I don't get, get your ass out the door. But for us, we have an opportunity to go through a program called the honor foundation and it's 16 weeks long. And, you know, 16 weeks is a lot different than five days. Right. And, and we get this opportunity to really, uh, the phase one of it is called the you phase. And you learn all this knowledge about yourself and who you are and what your why is and, and what's your purpose beyond the military. And, and I'll tell you, it's like, you know, if you guys could relate to this and I'm sure, you know, so many veterans that could relate to this when you get out, you're like in this weird self-discovery mode where you're just like, what the hell is beyond the military? Because for a lot of us, like what we did in the military, it was like, it provided purpose and meaning and the sense of belonging. And, and you just felt like, wow, I'm actually doing something with my life. And then you get out and you're like, you know, you potentially may work at some job that's not as fulfilling. And you say like, Oh man, like I used to do this. And you, and, and you don't ever, I never wanted to feel like, like that, uh, high school football quarterback that was like, you know, that almost one state. And then I'm still wearing my letterman and I'm at the bar and I'm talking about it. Right. I didn't want to be that guy. I wanted to like, I was like, you know what? I was a special operator. It, those aren't the golden years. I have so much more beyond that. Right. And so what this program did for me is it, it made me go through this process and it's a lot like therapy where you dig deep into your past and you dig deep into your military career and you kind of find the things that like drove you and, where you got a lot of your purpose from. And what I found was that my, my biggest purpose is I love entertaining. I love making people laugh and, and smile and feel inspired, but I also love just helping people overcome challenges. Cause when I was 
younger, when I was talking about overcoming drugs and addiction, there's nothing that brings me greater joy than when I was a leader in the military and helping people overcome their challenges and their battles. And I love doing that in a way where I was trying to boost morale on the team when we were in shitty situations on deployment or when we were in uh, you know, a crappy situation in training where everyone was complaining. I always tried to lighten the mood by entertaining them, making people smile, making people feel welcomed and, and comfortable. And, and for me, I was like, that's my why. My why is to illuminate the hearts of others so they may rise above barriers. And so that's, that's what I wanted to do when I got out. I was like, that's what's going to give me meaning and purpose when I got out. And so when people see all the stuff that I do, you know, people ask my kids, like, what does your dad do for work? And they're like, I don't know. And they're like, he just, <laughs> he just has fun. And, and so, and, and for me, it's like, that's what I wanted to pursue. I wanted to just get out there and um, do a whole lot of things without ever having to just like pinpoint and say, I'm going to work a nine to five job. Cause I didn't want to do that. I didn't, I couldn't see myself behind a desk. So thankfully I, I, I started my own business and skateboarding. I loved skateboarding growing up as a skater punk rock kid, but um, I used my skateboard company as a way to uh, attract other veterans, teach them about skateboarding, how to rise above their barriers using skateboarding, creating new communities. Uh, I help with a nonprofit called six feet above that uh, brings veterans together under skateboarding. And we do three day retreats, all expenses paid for them. We have different sponsors that help sponsor those retreats. So we fly veterans from all over the country and we pay for their flights, uh, all the other logistical needs. We pay for their housing, pay for all their food during that time. We link up with pro skaters uh, and we just show them a really badass time. And we, we teach them cognitive behavior therapy skills, dialectical behavior therapy skills, and just different ways to, um, cope with the stuff that they're dealing with, whether it's post-traumatic stress or depression or anxiety. Um, and we use skateboarding as the means to like bring them all together, right? That's a common thread, that common interest they have. And so that's another thing I do. And then with fresh line, that's the motocross thing in Africa um, because I was a special operator and because I was contracting with uh, defense strategies group, they said, Hey, we want to bring one of the special operators out there and ride with our clients out there in Africa and in other places. I'm going to Mongolia next month. And, uh, they just, they, they want guys to teach them survival skills and how to, uh, do mission planning and things like that. And so I go out there and do that. And then, you know, through my company thrasher rate, I know this is long winded, but um, I, in order to market myself, I was like, well, you know what? I want to start making silly videos because it's what I love to do. And so I started doing that and people started loving it. And so I got linked up with, uh, a good friend of mine named Chris Sandanya uh, with later skater productions. And we started making videos together. Now we do videos for softly. We've done, uh, now we're doing work with Mac belts. We've done stuff for echelon for uh, Dr. Squatch. soap. Uh, we've done a whole bunch of different stuff and we're hoping to bring on more clients uh, just to do some advertising for them. Okay. So <laughs> one second ago, you were like a lot of people worry about what they're going to do when they get out. And then you just rattle off casually. I'm going to go to Mongolia next month. <laughs> Like, that's fucking awesome, dude. Like, the fact that it's all veteran-operated and powered is fucking incredible, man. Like, uh, really, I can't... There's really no other way to say it. Our our community, we take care of our own. Oh, know? absolutely. And, and it's a beautiful thing. Like, uh, everything you're doing, man, is, is awesome. I want to fucking commend you for, for all that. And I know Kevin's probably over there like fuck shaking his head like what the fuck are we doing over here man <laughs> we gotta get our shit going baby i want to go to mongolia and fucking yeah. china yeah. 
the thing I found, uh, and this is something like all this didn't just like happen overnight. It was definitely, you know, it took some time. I, I, I got out a couple years ago mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and I'd say during that time that what the slow roll was, was this company, the skateboarding company. Um, it was like a whole year of just me doing that and grinding it out and spending my own money, spending 30 grand of my own money. And then another 30 grand, like just trying to build this thing and trying to market myself and making it happen. And, uh, you know, going in debt and sleepless nights and crying in the garage and trying to figure out like, Oh crap, like, is this company actually going to happen? But the thing that kept me going was, um, just other veteran entrepreneurs that were out there and they were like, dude, it is tough, but these are the rewards about it. And you just don't quit and just keep grinding and keep going. And what that did for me was, um, it just, it just gave me that motivation. Like, you know what, eventually it's just, just like when you're in SEER school or just like when you're in any other school, ITC and you're going through something tough or when you're on deployment, you're like, this isn't going to last forever. There's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. And I just need to keep going and keep pushing this ruck that's on my back. I'm not going to have to wear it for eternity. Eventually I'm going to be able to take this thing off and it's going to be worth it in the end. And so um, I looked at that and I was like, I've been through some hardship before I could put my head down. I could grind and it's going to be hard. I don't know when it's going to end, but I, I, it's going to end some point. And I'm going to, I'm going to be so glad that I kept going. And, um, and so when it come, when it came to it, uh, I'd say a lot of opportunities, uh, I'll never forget. This guy said, when you go to, when you go to meet and network with people, don't ask like, what can these people do for me? Always think of a serving way. Like, what can I do for them? And he's like, if you're constantly looking at ways to serve other people, then all these opportunities open up. And, and so that's how, I, that's how a lot of these opportunities came about. Well, yeah, that, that's really neat. And I mean, I'm with Tyree. Like that is, you're, you're doing a great thing for the veteran community. And, you know, there's a ton of people out there that are doing great things for the veteran community. And it's typically veterans, which is cool, right? Because like Terry said, you know, we, 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 we tend to stick together, right? Veterans help veterans. Um, and uh, it, I think it was uh, Vincent Vargas was talking about that too, uh, not too long ago. He said, he said, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the more his platform can grow, like the more people he can reach. So it's not necessarily, it's not for him. Right. Yeah. The bit, it's not for him. Like Rocco is fine living his life. Right. Like if it's not for him, the, 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 the larger the platform, the more people you can reach, the more people you can help. Um, yeah. That's what he, you're doing. He's actually the reason why we're, we're all connected because I, yeah, he, he connected with you guys. Um, oh, no shit. Yeah. He's an amazing guy. Mm-hmm. He was one yeah, of the people. I uh, when... started school with him. Oh, yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, no, yeah. Benji's one of the people that Rocco referred over to IAA. So hopefully, oh, okay. you know, after that whole thing goes or however it happens, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that'll still be a positive thing because, yeah. uh, you know, he's yeah, a good no, dude. He does a lot of great shit for, for everyone, really. Shout out yeah. to him for graduating today, too. Oh, yeah. He graduated today. That's pretty neat. Yeah. On top of the billion other things he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but and that's that's one thing that Tyree are wanting to do. Tyree and I are wanting to do with this with this show. Like, we, you know, we want to. You know, it's like we kind of came down to we moved for, at first we started doing it to kind of digitize the the legacy of the guys we deployed with and get our stories you know told um, because we're not special operators right and we're just we're, you know nobody's writing books about the basic mechanized infantry guy in 2004 in Iraq you know um, but we wanted we wanted to to say hey like we have a story to tell as well and people listened and people seemed to like it. We got some feedback and people were like, I didn't know we could even talk about this stuff. It really helps. Yeah. Um, 
Tyree's sister has even heard our show being played at a VA um, completely unrelated to us or her, you know, so completely random. And then it kind of morphed into the kind of the same concept is like, well, how can we help? Um, you know, we don't have a ton of money, but we have the internet and we have this platform that we've already created, but the podcast yeah. and, um, and so we're trying to grow it as much as we can to kind of do the same thing. We, we, we want to look more into, in, into expanding and, and doing other things as well. But, uh, you know, it's kind of like you said, it's, it's, it's slow at first. And then once, once the, once the, once it really picks up, man, that, that ball gets going and that's what we're looking for. Um, yeah, absolutely. And it's just, you know, uh, I have a good buddy of mine, uh, his name's Angel Cortez. He, he was a former Army Ranger. And um, he would always tell me, this is a couple years ago when I first started TNR and, and when we got connected, uh, he runs a company called OG Pumpkin. And he sponsors, you know, UFC fighters and a bunch of different other folks. And and I remember uh, he kept saying, he's like, big things are coming. Like, good things are coming. Like, and, and he would say that. I'm like, yeah, I guess. You know, like, it's just trying to motivate me, right? And I'm like, okay. And then we found ourselves looking at each other when we were at certain events or we'd, we'd do something amazing or we'd be on, uh, or we'd meet somebody because of what we were doing. And he'd, he'd look at me and be like, told you, man, bigger things are coming. And then it just kept happening and then it kept happening. And we're just like, holy crap. And, and it's absolutely true. You just, you know, what you think about, you bring about, and I don't necessarily mean like you have to like chant it into the universe or something, but w- what I mean by it is, like if you're constantly thinking positively, like you're going to be more grateful and, and and then you're going to just attract that attention. Right. And if you're saying, thinking negatively, you're going to attract that negativity into your life. And so, um, yeah, for the veterans listening for, you know, just that are struggling with transition. Um, yeah, just keep that positive mindset. And, and there's, there's folks out there, myself included and, and angel included that are, they're always willing to, to share our experiences because it's because of guys that went before us uh, helping me is how I, how I got to where I am. So like a, like a, like a good, uh, almost like an unofficial mentorship. Um, yeah. I mean, or even, you know, I know men- mentoring people is a thing, right. But like, um, it's what I feel like what it comes to, what it comes down to is like, like you get hooked up with this person and this person is doing these things. And you're like, dang man, like I, I want to be able to do this, something similar and yeah. it just kind of help guide you along. That's really, that's really neat. And I'm, I'm really glad to see that. Like the, the more we do this show, the more we, we, we see, we, we meet veterans who are doing this stuff and, and we're helping the veteran community uh, kind of become uh, successful after the transition, because that is a hard part. Uh, when I, I remember when I left active duty back in 05, um, I, for that year was in a very, shitty state i mean it was 90 days after our deployment to iraq and then bam right there civilian so no military support um no they even asked i remember they they asked that the um oh terry what was that called when we got back from iraq to go to the see all those people for like a week reintegration yeah reintegration they said we had to talk to a social worker and she was like hey uh, do you have ptsc i was like i don't even know what that is she's like well if you don't if you don't know what it is, you probably don't. Hey, have man, it. Like, <laughs> start, start packing, padding your pockets. Oh, that PTSD, man. where'd I drop it? Yeah, and she said, she said, but if you do have it, all symptoms should subside within eight weeks. So I was like, oh, okay, cool, no big deal. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so yeah. then I'm back home in Arkansas, and like I'm trying to like do college, and I, you know, I'm trying to live this life, and I just fucking lost in the sauce, man. And, and it, there was there was nothing then, right? To like, uh 
to help us kind of thrive. Cause like you said, whenever you exit the military, it's a week long thing. And you can sometimes even waive that. You'd be like, I don't need that. I don't need to learn how to write a resume. I'm just going to go back home and work in a fucking factory or some shit. Yeah. You know, my uncle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I know a guy back home. He's got a logging thing. It's a, yeah, he'll yeah. hire me mm-hmm. <laughs> 10 bucks an hour. Shit. Yeah. <clears throat> but if we want to thrive, if we want other veterans to thrive, this is, this is how we do it. Like, and we, and, and, and I, we, man, I see it all the time. Uh, you know, on social media or in real life where you see these veterans who are just not doing good. And, and it's, it's sad because they have the skills, right? They have, they've, they've, they've gone through the military where they learned the concept of hard work and, and benefiting from your work. And, and like you said, putting your head down and just keep charging forward to the end. It's, it's possible. You just have to find the thing that you're passionate about and, and yeah. make that your, your life. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and I, I agree. And, and sometimes, and I, I don't want to give people the wrong impression to say that you just have to like, you know, if you have this dream of doing something and it's not working out, then just keep your head down and keep grinding at it. Uh, that it's all going to happen at one point. It might not because that might not be the thing for you, or it might not be the thing that's, that's, uh, uh, like you're calling and you're just trying to force something to happen. And uh, it's, it's like the definition of insanity, right? You do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result and, and people get discouraged. And, and I found that in, in a lot of things that I was doing to include skateboarding, right? And there were some things that I was doing with the company that I said, oh, no, I just got to keep going. I got to keep doing it this way. And I kept keep doing it this way. And I didn't want to pivot and I didn't want to like move on to a different direction and it was like, I had to swallow pride and say, you know what, actually, let me reevaluate. Let me look at this and say, you know what, I could keep going, but I can keep going in this direction now, right? I could still keep moving. I keep pressing forward and keep working hard at something that has meaning and purpose, but it doesn't necessarily have to be this right now because it might not be the right timing. Just like when I, when I first, and I'll, I'll give a story about me failing real quick, uh, when I, before I went to Marsoc, I actually failed a water survival school. Um, and this is back when I was helping a force reconnaissance team um, in a supporting role uh, before I went to Marsoc. And they were like, oh, you got to go because you're part of the boat team. You have to go to this water survival course. And I went there and I actually quit the second day because it was so hard. And, and then I remember thinking like, holy crap, I just quit this because it was way too hard. And I, I just wasn't ready for it and all this and that. And I was like, well, how am I ever going to go to Marsoc? How am I ever going to complete that training? Because it's way harder than what that was. And I could have been discouraged and been like, well, I failed that course. It's never going to happen. But that just wasn't the right time for me. I definitely wasn't ready. And I wasn't ready up here either. And I got myself ready. And then I made it happen. So when when do you know, like, at what point do you do you think to yourself, okay, maybe, maybe I need to reevaluate? Um, you, you, you know, because... I, I can see like, okay, I, I, I want this to be a thing. I'm going to push it to be a thing. And then like, is it X amount of tries or do you just, do you, just, do, do you have like a process that you kind of go through to kind of identify like when it's time to reevaluate? Yeah. Well, actually the reevaluation is, is honestly continuous. You know um, if anyone out there is an entrepreneur uh, and it doesn't matter if you're early on or if you've been doing it for a while, like, you know, like, you're going to hit a, a lot of roadblocks and not, not even just entrepreneurship. This is just, just for anything you want to try that's new and scary and, and you're taking a leap of faith into something. Um, 
it's, it's a hard process to get into something. And when you start trying something, it's like every day or, or whenever we'd complete a mission, you would debrief immediately after that mission. So you try something and then you got to debrief it right there on the spot while it's fresh. And then after a month of doing that, you, you reevaluate how that month went and that quarter went and all that stuff. Like, you know, uh, just like in business, they evaluate every quarter. Um, but one of the things I do is I don't battle alone. And this is a saying we have with six feet above the nonprofit. We say no war is fought alone, right? There's no battle that there, there's no Rambo. There's no someone that like, it doesn't matter. Like special operators, we don't take a single special operator and send them out there, you know, with a, with a cross, with a bow and arrow that's explosive tips and, you know, make that happen. We have a team of guys making it happen and, and we have leaders that help mentor us and guide us. Uh, and so what I say to, to people is you need to have people that are, that have been there, done that, that you believe in, get, get their evaluation. And they might say some hard shit about you that you don't want to hear, but it's exactly what you need to hear. And that's what, that's kind of how I, when I did, when I had my business failing, I reached out to folks that were like business leaders in the industry and business leaders outside the industry. And they said, well, this is what I went through. This is what I see you're going through and how it compares. And this is what you can do. And this is what you're doing. That's wrong. Or this is what you're doing right. And you just need to keep that track. And so you just definitely need to reach out to the right folks. That's, and that's kind of, uh, in a way, that's kind of what uh, was the echelon front, right? With Jocko and, and, and Leaf Babe. And that's kind of what they do um, just yeah. in, in general, right? But they, they kind of step in and say, um, businesses ask them to come in and say, hey, look at our business model and tell if it's working or whatever. Yeah. And uh, it's really interesting to listen. His, his book, uh, son of a bitch, what's the name of that book? Extreme Discipline, I think is what it's called. Uh, um, ownership? Yes, extreme ownership. Yeah, um, I can't believe I forgot that he's going to punch me in the face. He doesn't know me, but if he did, he punched me in the face. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's really interesting to listen to him compare um, the, these 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 uh, military stories, combat stories, to what these businesses are doing and how they're failing and how they turned it around and succeeded. Um, and it really goes to show, like, okay. And I had the same thought when I, when, when I left active duty, he's like, well, what is my experience in Iraq as a, as an infantryman have to do with me being a civilian trying to get this job as a, as a entry level manager at Walmart? Yeah. Well, it has a lot to do. Like he's just got to get to find the ways to correlate. It. And that's what he does in that book. Um, is he talks about like, okay, so this is, this is an example of not taking ownership for something in, um, the SEAL teams. And this is how we applied that lesson learned to this corporation who has nothing to do with the military. Yeah. Um, so there is correlation. It's just a matter of trying to figure it out. And I, it's a really good book and I can't believe I forgot the name of it. I feel bad. <laughs> but one, one thing I'll say um, uh, is there's a lot of people out there that are willing to help you veteran and non-veteran. Uh, and, and I'll say if you just reach, I think that's the biggest thing. People are afraid to reach out because they're like, I'm going to get rejected. They're going to say no, or they're just going to leave me on red, whatever else. And I will say, Instagram isn't always the way to reach out to people. Like don't just DM someone and expect like, Oh, this guy never got back to me. Cause sometimes people's DMs are flooded and that's maybe not the right way. But I have found a lot of success when I was transitioning out that I would, I would look up like when I was trying to figure out what industry I wanted or what I want to do, I would type in that job description and, and I'd go to people and I'd see what people have that job. And then I would reach out to them there and say, Hey, would you mind doing a cup of coffee with me if they're local? Or uh, would you mind doing a virtual meeting with me? Uh, and I just want to learn more about what you do. 
and you just say like, I'm a veteran and you'd be surprised how many people are like, yeah, I'll absolutely do it. And I had over 50 cups of coffee with random strangers that I've never met. And I had 50 cups of coffee in the entertainment industry, in the banking industry. I was looking at getting at the finance and stuff. Cause I was like, I don't know. I'm just looking at everything. I was looking at pharmaceutical stuff. And, and I, and I checked off all these boxes of like, don't want to do that. Don't want to do that. And it was, it was really cool, but it was, it was actually reaching out there and networking with people. And I know not everyone's as outgoing as I am and I'm, I'm comfortable reaching out to people, but uh, you'd be surprised. People want to help, especially they want to help veterans. Yeah. And yeah. I can attest to that. Just the, just recently, man, like literally within the last week for me personally, having a veteran community has been huge because yeah. I could just say, Hey, I need a little bit of help. And man, it will blow your mind. People will drop what they're doing to help you out. And it's a fucking beautiful thing. And I think it, it sucks that more people will, don't have that kind of experience with their own life. Like I am so happy that I'm a veteran because we can yeah. all, we all share this one specific thing that mm-hmm. no one else will fucking have, regardless of how many fucking veterans, you know, and how many people you don't know that are veterans. We're all very special. The fucked up ones, the good ones, the bad ones, the crazy ones, all of them. We're yeah. all fucking a crazy mixed bag of folks, but we're fucking special, man. And uh, we take care of each other. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, absolutely. I fucking love it, man. So on that note, let me hear all of your social media links and everything so everyone can figure out a way to or contact you and get to you and uh, help you out with whatever. You'll be flooded with, uh, hey, man, will you will you help me out? Yeah. You want to you meet for some coffee? Yeah. Uh, You're going to get so many coffee. Sure. <laughs> People are surprised, though, because I'll get DMs from some folks, and I know I can't get to all of them, but, uh, but I, I respond to as many as I can mm-hmm. and different people reaching out to me for advice and stuff. And, and if I'm not busy, um, I even schedule phone calls with folks and, and I'll have phone calls with, with, uh, Marines or soldiers and people from all over the country, just asking just for transition advice or whatever else, or I'll point them to a podcast where I talked about it and mm-hmm. I'll point, I'll definitely point them to this one for sure. Cause we talked about some good, good stuff in here. So, um, but on my Instagram, it's just at Benji B E N J I E and then underscore my last name, Manabog M A N I B O G. And that's, that's uh, pretty much my main social media. Or if you go to LinkedIn and just type my name in there, you can find me on there as well. Uh, I'm never on Facebook and I have, I have a TikTok also, and it's same thing. Benjamin Abog. Word. <clears throat> I, well, and before we go, go away, um, I was actually going to mention uh, LinkedIn earlier. Do you have any success with LinkedIn? Is it a pretty good platform for you? Uh, it's actually really surprising that, um, and I was just talking to the owner of Mac Belts, about this too, as well. Most of my business success and most of the other things that I've, I've uh, had success in has come from LinkedIn, like majority of my sales, majority of just the connections and the people that have, you know, led me to other places. Um, it's been on LinkedIn. Uh, it's a different, it's a different animal than, than Instagram and stuff like that. But uh, I say, if you really want debauchery, go to like Twitter. And if you want a little bit more professionalism, go, go to LinkedIn, but, and then in the middle there's Instagram, but, um, but yeah, no, LinkedIn's a, a great place to go. And I highly recommend um, people try it out. Uh, and you get, you could definitely um, uh, link in with me there and, and I'd be happy to point you in the right direction. One of the things that I always tell people, whenever you have a conversation uh, with me or with, or with someone else is at the end of it, you always ask them like, 
uh, hey, I really liked what you said about this. Who else could you put me in contact with that might help me out too? And that way you get another person to talk to. That's excellent. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah, I, I have one and I, I I don't use it. I mean, I use Instagram and uh, I have Facebook just to, to scroll mindlessly, which I feel like I need to stop doing, especially after this conversation. But um, because <laughs> uh, it's not helping me. You know what I mean? And actually that was part of the conversation I had with my friend last night too, is that, uh, um, he, you know, he was on this, 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 uh, he's, he's well down the path of, of recovery now. He's, he's, he's doing amazing today. Um, but, but that was one thing that, uh, you know, in his journey to become where he is now or to get to where he is now, he's like, I play less video games. I'm on social media less. Um, I'm more in the moment with my family. Um, I'm more driven to do the things that I want to do. And my like, fuck, man, like these are all, these are all things that we're addicted to, right? This like, you know, quick serotonin dumps and, uh, and, uh, like, and that was kind of a, a, I was like, man, like I, as he's telling me, I'm like, I, I, I do that too. I need to stop doing those things because <laughs> yeah, like it's not helping at all. You know, yeah. I mean, it's a trap, man. It's a trap. Uh, you know, I'll get on, I'll get on the Instagram account to, to post something for the, for the podcast or on my on, on personal. And the next thing you know, 30 minutes later, I'm just sitting here just scrolling. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We'll break it. We'll break it at some point. We'll get away from that. We just got to fucking uh, keep doing these shows, man. So, Hey everybody, thank you for listening to before I forget. Thank you, man. Uh, Benji for coming on the show. Thank really you. awesome having you coming on. Absolutely, uh, it's been a been a real good eye opening conversation with you. And I I hope I hope we can get this out to a lot of people because you man uh, really insightful for sure. Oh yeah, thank you. And on that note, folks, we need you, really want you. We pray that you take the time out to go on your computer and go to www.beforeiforgetthepodcast.com to buy some of the shit that we have on there. It's pretty cool. Check it out. Kevin, you got anything? No man, uh, that's that's it. Uh, yeah, hey Benji, again, thanks for for coming on, man. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. All right, please like, listen, share, subscribe, watch, listen, and all that. We'll see you on the next one. Say bye, Kevin. Bye, Kevin. <clears throat> that was excessive. <laughs> <laughs>